Hi, my name is Martin Purnell, and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church, and for those that are disillusioned. You can contact us, by the way, via email ogc at accessradio.biz, business spot B-I-Z, and our Facebook page, Off Grid Christianity. On today's podcast is a lady who is a freelance writer and editor. She also works part-time with the policy team at Christian Medical Fellowship, and her website suggests that if she entered TV's mastermind, her chosen subject would be reading in between the lines of our moral and ethical assumptions. But what does that mean? Why did she live on a ship for two years? Why did she study philosophy to gain an MA? Does she know all the philosophers' names in the Rhubarb Tart song? And why, having written a book on contentment published by the good book company called If Only, finding joyful contentment in the face of lack and longing, did she then recently get engaged? All these questions. Better find out some answers then from our guest today, Jenny Pollock. Jenny, thanks so much for joining us. So where do we start? That's a question. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I've never heard the rhubarb tart song. Uh, you may oh, have to tell me this. Uh, yes, John Cleese wrote it uh, oh, okay. for the 1948 show, but then it morphed itself into... I'm sorry, I'll read that again. And it's very stupid. And it's a tune that everyone knows. And yes, very funny. Uh, I will say that Rhubarb Tart rhymes with Rene Descartes. That's one of the things. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very stupid. I shall look it up when yeah, we please, finish. Please, please, it's very silly. Very enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> so, loads of questions to ask. Before we go for the first five questions, where are we speaking to you today from, please? I am in central London, in Kennington. By the cricket ground, no doubt. Yes, yes, not too far from there. So you'll be going out and borrowing a few googlies later on then <laughs> after this podcast. Oh, how well you know me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, question number one, then, if you're ready. Mm-hmm. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who, Jenny, would it be, please? Well, I, I couldn't decide. I, I think I've decided uh, two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, Douglas Adams, the writer of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I don't really know what I'd ask him. I'd, I'd want to find that kind of key question that just got him on a roll and, yes. and let him on flights of fantasy or the opposite end of the intellect well not the intellectual spectrum the opposite end of the spectrum lady jane gray she was queen for yes yes nine days when she was about 16 so two great answers there uh firstly (laughs) douglas adams a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy the restaurant at the end of the universe i think about that all the time that'd be great (laughs) the question you might be to ask him is that if he was a complete atheist how come he loved seeing christmas carols at christmas Oh, there you go. There you go, indeed. Yeah, that would be a good one. That's a question. <laughs> and then the second one, Lady Jane Grey. Yeah, I remember in my primary school doing a, a little thing on her. That's a great yeah. answer. So, what do you think you'd actually ask Lady Jane Grey then? Well, I first heard about her when I saw a film about her life, a, a fictionalised one with Helena Bonham Carter. I was just Lady say, Jane. And of course, <laughs> Wesley Ellis. himself. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good. I'm glad you knew that reference as well. <laughs> People say, what are you talking about? If you haven't seen The Princess Bride... Oh, yeah, what know. have you been doing with your life, really? As yeah. you wish. That's all I'm going to say. As you wish, indeed. So, yes, so I, I loved that film and just this inspiring young girl who, who was kind of engineered yeah. to become queen when 
Mary had the far better claim being actually a direct descendant of King Henry, a daughter of his, but then kind of they all, all their uncles and whatever thought they could manipulate her into doing whatever they wanted, but found she was made of much sterner stuff. And uh, then, as you know, uh, ended up being executed because she refused to convert to Catholicism when Mary came to the throne. So partly I just want to ask how how accurate was that film? You know, which, which of those bits? <laughs> Especially yeah. you said, have you seen The Princess Bride? And she'll yes, turn around and say, no, but my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. <laughs> The, the dinner party conversation would have taken the turn, I think, if that would happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great answer. Thank you. Question number two. Who is your favourite <laughs> biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable, please? Well, favourite biblical character, I would have to say, is Nehemiah. I, I love his book, his story. Uh, just the more I, I read about him, the more I study him, the more I just, I think, what just what a fantastic, faithful, godly man he was, just with the, the drive and the courage to get Jerusalem and the temple rebuilt, the city walls particularly, obviously, and he's a real hero. That's good. And one of the smallest men in the Bible, of course, if it's according to his name. <laughs> Which is the only thing I ever remember from him from my days going to a, a church back in England. I always remember that. And of course, I was followed by the man who fell asleep on his watch, but that's the... <laughs> Moving on, you can see what kind of church I went to. Yes. <laughs> um, question three. Uh, if you're Prime Minister for the day, young Jenny, and you could change any law or impose new law, what would it be? I took this in a kind of frivolous way. I would impose a fast lane and slow lane on pavements for walking. So that, awesome. Especially in central London, but, you know, there's people that want to dawdle and meander and look in the windows. Great. You just stay over to your side. The rest of us can have a fast lane to actually get where we need to go. The problem is, though, is that are you one of these people that likes to cycle? No. Okay. And how it's many far times, too much like exercise. Well, it is, isn't it? How many times have you had the bell rung at you when you've been walking in the cycle lane? Yes. <laughs> That's true. You. The number of evil eyes you get. Like, yes. Yep. That's very fair. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a great answer. Thank you. That question was supposed to always be slightly frivolous. Good, but, good. Uh, most people take it very seriously. So well. there you go. You pulled it back. <laughs> good. <laughs> a fast and slow lane. That'd be really good. Mm -hmm. uh, question four. Outside of family events, what has been your most enjoyable day out so far, please, Jenny? Again, it's a toss-up between two. I think I'm going to avoid the sort of trap of the most recent and, and look back a bit. I, you mentioned that I spent two years living on a ship. Yes. While I was there uh, one day, we were in Guatemala, and a friend had grown up there as a, a missionary kid, and she took me out to sort of some of the places she knew. And um, so I got to see kind of the real Guatemala, not just the touristy bits or the ugly port area, but. Yeah, we had a wonderful time and then went to one of the ancient towns and, and sang together in this room with amazing acoustics, a sort of circular underground room. Wow. Yeah, a memorable day from quite a number of years back now. And as you're good with the English language, draw us a picture in our brain of what real Guatemala is like, please. What I loved about it was, and this was um, 30 years ago now, at that time people were still wearing their national costume as just their ordinary clothes, so very, very brightly colourful, woven outfits, men with sort of tunic tops, uh, women with 
very traditional Latin American style clothing that you would just see around in the town going about their normal shopping. So much of the town centre was just a town centre, busy streets, lots of taxis weaving in and out. At that time, there it had been not long after a military coup. Mm. My friend took me to a, a hotel and there were guards with machine guns on the doors. And I hadn't ever seen that before. Yeah, lo- lots of contrasts. There's beautiful, brightly coloured clothing and then military and machine guns. A wonderful place. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We've seen uh, machine guns at the doors. Uh, I live in Northern Ireland now and uh, mm. go have to go back to about 1996 and before then. Same sort of thing. Fortunately for us, well, that's a thing of the past now. So Excellent. Which is very good. Thank you. Yes. Question five. What has been your most embarrassing moment to date, please? I struggled to think of something for this. I, I think one was probably uh, when I managed to walk into a signpost, a tour around London. There was one of these walking tours, so you'd stop yeah. in an interesting building. And so I stood and looked at it and took a photo and turned and took a step forward and smack into this pole and it made quite a nice resounding <laughs> doing <laughs> Very Rowan um, Atkinson sort of thing. Yes, yes. I mean, it should have been more embarrassing than it was really. None of the other people in the group seemed to notice at all. And I'm sort of thinking, I, I could be concussed here and you're yeah. all just merrily wandering along. But thankfully, all was well. <laughs> well, at least they didn't take their phones out to record it. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Put it up on YouTube. Put it up on YouTube, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Well, mm-hmm. going back to one of the questions then, uh, and that was, uh, what's been most enjoyable day out? I'm going to go for the other answer. And that is the day you got engaged, or I could be wrong here. That was indeed a, a very enjoyable day out, yes. <laughs> Tell us more then. My fiancé lives in Toaster, which is a small town in Northamptonshire. We were planning to see each other that weekend. He was going to come down on the Friday evening and he uh, messaged me on the Friday morning and said, do you fancy going out for a picnic? And bear in mind, it was pouring with rain and kind of forecast to do so all weekend. And we had some other things going on in the weekend. So I wasn't entirely sure when he was thinking of doing this evening picnic in the pouring rain in March. But, you know, I messaged back, sure, whatever. That sounds <laughs> crazy enough to be fun. And he messaged back and said, great, I'm at Lambeth North. See you in 10 minutes. <laughs> and had taken the day off and come down early and surprised me. So I could put on some more suitable clothing. <laughs> and, um, yeah, uh, we went out and... He took me to a, a park all the way at the end of the Elizabeth line that we'd been to on one of our first dates. Elizabeth line being the new yes. train line going, tube line going through London. And by the time we got out there, the rain had stopped and the sun came out. And we went to this lovely park called Abbey Wood. He took me to the bench near our picnic site from where we had been on one of our first dates and got down on one knee and the rest is history. Oh, <laughs> and did the crowd go, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he managed to wait until there was not too many crowds around. He's, he's not a very public, showy person. <laughs> he's quite romantic, though, to do that, I would have thought. It was very romantic. Oh, yes. bless. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So we there. We had two answers uh, for the prize of one. And no doubt we're going to come back to mm-hmm. that as well. That's okay. But another thing you alluded to about the ship. Why yes. were you on a ship for two years, please, Jenny? I was on a ship for two years because I trained as a teacher and okay. when I was in the run-up to leaving teacher training college, I was applying for various jobs, not quite getting anything, and sort of starting to say, uh, okay, God, um, what, what was your plan here yeah, then? Yeah. Why have I just done this four-year B.Ed. degree? 
for no job? What am I meant to do next? And just the name OM Ships kept sort of appearing in my mind. OM stands for Operation Mobilisation. I was aware of them and their ship ministry at a very basic level. Uh, In my family church growing up, we'd always had a big world map on the board with the OM Ships logo in the corner. We'd been to visit the ships a couple of times when they'd come to London. I wrote to them and said, I don't really know much about your ministry. Do you ever do you have children on board? Do you ever need teachers? And they said, yes, we have children of kind of captain and senior crew members to enable them. You know, they come with their families, so they're able to commit to being on board for a longer time. So we have little schools on board and often in need of teachers. Wow. Please apply. And so, yeah, I joined the Logos 2 and taught for two years. Wow. How cramped or not cramped is it on board? It's fairly cosy. Most of the cabins uh, sleep two or four people. Uh, There are very few single cabins and there's a few family ones. So I was sharing a cabin with another lady that was a stranger to me until we rocked up on the ship together. There's a communal dining room. It's it's, it's reasonably spacious, but you don't have much personal. I was very blessed to have a classroom that I could kind of escape to and get some alone time. And I think I might have gone a bit crazy without that otherwise. <laughs> Go back then. What do you remember about growing up in Northamptonshire and, and becoming a Christian? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, um, went to church uh, since I was about two weeks old. So from long before I can remember. Um, gave my life to the Lord when I was, well, uh, my parents tell me I made an initial commitment when I was toddler. I obviously don't remember that either. So I remember kind of making a, a commitment again when I was about eight, just having heard yet another gospel sermon and realising, yeah, I I think I believe this. I, I think this makes sense. I want to to be all in with this. And I don't remember what the prayer was I prayed. It was just on my, on my own in my room and but never really wavered from that. Had a very good experience of churches, lovely parents, lovely brother, good friends growing up. So, Brilliant. yeah, Brilliant. all been good. Brilliant. Well, we'll get to the main thrust in a minute, which I think is going to be not about the rhubarb tart song or about <laughs> the Princess Bride, even though I could wax lyrical about that film <laughs> for ages. I think we're going to be looking at contentment. I really feel that's what we're going to be talking about. But before mm-hmm. we do, Christian Medical Fellowship, I mentioned that at the very beginning. Yeah. Tell us more, please. The Christian Medical Fellowship is a membership organisation, has around 5,000 Christian doctors, nurses, midwives, and students of those disciplines as well, and seeks to unite and equip them to live and speak for Jesus in their workplaces particularly. Um, So we do lots of support and teaching and training for them. I work in the public policy team, which is specifically looking at the medical ethics, bioethics issues and trying to speak into those in government, in royal colleges, wherever there's a a place to speak into them. Is it getting more complex and more difficult as time goes on? Well, there are always new things coming up. Transgender is obviously a big one. AI is going to be a big one coming up. AI medicine. Why is that then? (laughs) Because you wouldn't associate AI with medical stuff. So why is that going to be a big thing, do you think? Oh, there's lots of experimentation starting working out how we can use biological cells to improve electronic networks it's all beyond me neural networks and okay. yeah you can look on our blog cmfblog.org.uk i think that we've got some recent articles about that just the intersection between 
technology and biology. If you take my skin cells and grow them and attach them to these electrons, is this machine now part of me? Is it not? Is it human? Is it not? All sorts of very interesting ethical questions. Yeah, yeah. And what about then being a Christian in today's medical world? How easy or how difficult is it now, do you think? Oh, I think it's very challenging, some areas more so than others. People in Obsangaini, that it's often very, very challenging uh, having to decide where they want to stand on issues like abortion, um, things like that. Do they want to be able to stay in that space and be a a witness and be a support to women going through abortions? Do they want to take a principled stand and, and stand back? This pushes towards euthanasia and assisted suicide at the other end of life as well. That's going to affect a lot of people. But also just about how and when you share your faith, particularly with patients. You know, Is it okay to pray with them? How does one do that sensitively and appropriately? There's lots of different topics, issues that come up. Yes, because that's been in use for some time now, isn't it? Mm, Are you allowed to pray yeah. with patients or not? So what's the, the general guideline from CMS? The general guideline is in line with the General Medical Council's guidelines, which are that, yes, you're allowed to exhibit your faith at work, but you're not allowed to impose it on anybody. So if a patient asks you to pray with them, that's mm. absolutely fine. But And also, a lot of the time, there's the opportunity to say, do you have any kind of faith or belief system that helps you in difficult circumstances like this? And and allow the patient to open up the conversation that might give you the opportunity to then share your own but you you mustn't push it on them yeah so that sounds fairly okay to me it does yes uh get bad press then or why does it get when we hear that christians who are doctors and nurses are suddenly being lambasted and, and everything else sadly it's often because people aren't doing it in a wise and sensitive way that their zeal for the lord is is overcoming their kind of professional wisdom and restraint. Ah, so throwing That's the bucket of water over and to baptise them isn't... The thing. <laughs> not, not generally the best idea, no. <laughs> yeah, it's... No, it's so hard because if you are a compassionate person and you're desperate for people to know the Lord and, you know, you see them struggling and you, you know that, that God gives peace and you want to be able to offer that, it is very hard. Mm. And, you know, there are examples in the Bible of... We were talking about it in my small group bible study this week just where is the line when is the point where you disobey the ruling authorities you know we're commanded to obey them but there are obviously people that disobeyed and that stood up and said no actually we need to speak for god and not for men where is that line and it's it can be a tricky one for people to work out so what would you say to any doctor or nurse listening today who's feeling challenged on this what would you say to them I would say uh, get in touch with CMF and um, talk to the pastoral care team or somebody email in and, and we can give you some guidance and rare, hook you up with other believers in, in medicine in your area. And, yeah, so support and, and help. So you've got 5,000 members and you've got a pastoral care team. How does that work then? Well, that was set up. Uh, it was one of those amazing God things that mm. it was on somebody's heart to have it set up for years and it kind of was just... The ball was just rolling when the pandemic hit. And so, of course, the time when pastoral care was most needed, we had people primed and ready. So we've got people who are trained in in counselling or in pastoral ministry who are just available. You can drop an email in. It's available on our website, cmf.org.uk. You can email in and you'll be 
matched up with someone who's available to listen and to pray and to support in whatever yeah. areas those are in. What's been the general considered feedback from uh, the pandemic as far as CMF has been concerned? Mostly just the exhaustion and just the demoralisation of such hard work for so long and the staff shortages and people are really struggling. There's a lot of support been needed and and of course the, the distress of seeing so many people die even people, you know, I know of doctors who work in A&E who in some ways the workload was lighter. There weren't people coming in with the frivolous or, you know, the lighter complaints, but it meant that everybody you saw was in a much more severely critical situation. So it was stressful. And then there was other people that were kind of not needed, not able to work and sort of feeling the guilt of that, knowing that their colleagues were absolutely exhausted, but their skills weren't needed mm. So lots of emotional difficulties uh, around. So do pray for our doctors and nurses yeah. and midwives. Yeah. They really need it. Well, it'd be interesting to know, isn't it? If it ever happens again, mm-hmm. would the governments of the world look back to see how we handled it last time and what changes would they make? But mm, Yeah, I could keep us talking for weeks, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> could indeed, it could indeed. And just for those again, because I know we have people who want to contact uh, CMF, what's the website address again, please? cmf.org.uk org.uk thank you ma in philosophy mm-hmm. yeah why <laughs> because having spent two years on the ship i then didn't want to teach anymore i yeah. did a couple of other jobs and then felt that god was leading me into wanting to talk into speak into bioethical issues um, particularly beginning of life type ones and so i was just looking for a way into it went to various events and things and realised, I was originally looking at doing a bioethics master's, uh, realised actually that that was asking questions that were a bit further on than where I was. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand, well, why do we value life the way we do? Where where are our thoughts and understandings on what makes life worth living? When does life begin? When when are we human? You know, where have all those things come from? So realised that was philosophy, really, and did that. Now, did it screw you up, Christian-wise, doing philosophy? Thankfully not, no. I, that was something I was concerned about, so went into it kind of quite prayerfully around that, but also kind of on some modules particularly. Uh, so there was one, you know, moral philosophy, and just looking at some of the, the questions I, and topics I knew we were going to study, I just decided, okay, before I start reading this, I want to kind of set out what I understand biblically mm. on this subject and just kind of write that down for myself, put it to one side. And, you know, this is my bedrock that if there's something that contradicts that, that I want to to wrestle with and, and work out, okay, no, actually I still believe God's word is the truth. So how do I reconcile, you know, which, which of these is right and giving the, the greater weight to God's word. And so there, there's only a few things that I had to, to wrestle with that on. And what, what were they? You were going to ask me that. <laughs> I think it was things like what makes a life valuable and when does life begin? Those kinds of things. There's a, a concept called personhood that I got really interested in that, that sort of suggests that just being human isn't enough to make us worthy of all the rights and privileges of being human, particularly kind of right to life, things like that. And so that is obviously seen most clearly in the abortion debate. Mm. Yeah, but until such and such a point, this person doesn't 
isn't really fully a person. It doesn't matter quite so much to kill them, surely. So things like that, I want to say, well, actually, no, I, I believe that we are fully known, fully precious to God from the first moments of conception. So how am I going to reconcile those two things? And so that's a big one that, I mean, I did the master's, I graduated in 2012, and it's something I'm still thinking about, just wrote a paper on recently, just just trying to kind of get my head around and particularly my head around how can I talk about my beliefs in a way that will be acceptable to someone that, that doesn't share them, doesn't come from the same first principles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I make a, an argument that, that at least shakes their thinking, makes them think, well, is, is this really the way I think? It's, yeah, as soon as I know I'm pregnant, it's, it's a baby. But if I didn't want it, then no, no, it's just a clump of cells. You know, just those, think about those little weird anomalies and... Has there been much of a, a debate with Christians who are quite happy to have an abortion? What's their standpoint? I, I haven't personally ever debated them. I think there are various, again, it comes down to various different views on uh, when you think kind of the, the moral value of personhood kind of kicks in, that there are a lot who will say, well, until implantation, then it, it's morally defensible to have an abortion or well obviously if the child's life is uh, i would agree if the mother's life is in danger then that's absolutely yeah it's acceptable then to have an abortion but then people will say well then why is it okay to kill one person then and not the other it's one of those debates that we're not going to solve in the next half hour is it really i don't think so no no it is a very difficult one and and has to be handled sensitively you know people yeah people have abortions for all kinds of different reasons i think it's one of those things that's often been presented as kind of the unforgivable sin or something that's so shameful you can't ever talk about it in church and uh, one thing my boss and i have been doing recently is is working with some crisis pregnancy centers to to talk about how we can get into churches more and and offer hope and healing and help to people in crisis pregnancies or who have been through abortion in the past and are living with any regret or guilt or a sense of shame around that and just, just how we can offer God's forgiveness and his love and hope yeah. to those kinds of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. As I said, we could talk about that for ages. Uh, <laughs> as you're probably aware, uh, one of the questions that we always do at the beginning, the number one answer by then some is, you know, if you were Prime Minister or President of the day, would uh, do something about the, the abolishment of, uh, of abortion. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I had heard that, so I deliberately avoided that one. <laughs> Could have been one I might have gone for. Yes, I'm sure it would have been. And of course, no doubt, cmf.org.uk. UK. Yeah. A lot of stuff on that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Loads of material to go and read. Great. Thank you. Right. So you've now got your MA in philosophy. Mm-hmm. You still don't know the rhubarb tart song. No. But <laughs> let's lead into contentment because you end up writing mm-hmm. a book which has a, a very simple title. So it's called If Only the Book anyway. Tell us more why you wrote it and what it's all about, please. I always wanted to get married and have a family. Always sort of assumed I would. Um, just kind of assumed that was a natural part of life that would happen and 20s ticked past and my 30s started to tick past and it wasn't happening and just had started kind of just questioning God, well, what, why not? This is something I really want. It's a good thing. I'm not asking for anything sinful. I believe it's the way you've built me and made me, designed me 
to want these things and you know why would you put these desires in my heart and then not fulfill them and just spent many years wrestling through that um, just questioning and praying and I've just been I'm packing up to move house at the moment and I've been finding all my old journals and keep clicking through and just page after page there's you know whatever my prayers are and oh and Lord please send my husband you know send send me that person and he didn't for many years and uh, in about 2018 I think it was I suddenly realized one day that actually that kind of burning desire wasn't there anymore I still would have loved to be married but but I'd found a real contentment and a joy in where I was lots of the things that I thought I needed a husband to be able to do providing hospitality and being motherly exercising my motherly gifts I was doing through my church and church family and other Mm -hmm. aspects of life and God had just brought fulfillment to all these different areas uh, and just given me a real joy and contentment in that and I I was very willing then to say that I'd I'd been through the oh please give me a husband kind of through the okay give me your will but if that would include a husband that'd be great you just want to keep it on the table were you more um, actually specific? I wanted to be six foot two from Sweden, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. Good sense of humour. Uh, <laughs> no, there were some specifics, but no, just I want someone, someone to love, someone to care for, mm. um, someone to, to be able to to do all these things with, and um, providing hospitality and things. So, kind of got realised I've got through those prayers to actually yeah god your will's the best i'm i love where you've got me i love your plan for my life this is great let's do it and shared that with the the women's whatsapp group from my church just as an encouragement you know i'm in a central london church there's lots of young single women i know that this is an issue for a lot of people church women outnumber men and the fact that there's not going to be enough to go around so i just put it as you know and encouragement, I found this contentment and God really is enough. You, you really can meet all your needs. just want to encourage you that you don't have to be anxious about this. And got such a response from it. So many people just thanking me or saying, oh, yeah, I've really been wrestling with that. Can we talk? Can you pray for me? That I started to think maybe there was, was something more there. Maybe there was yeah. a wider audience yeah. for it. Good book company invited me to write a book and this was it. Wow. That's good if only. And it's mm-hmm. got a load of other words after that. But <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> what's the full title called? Finding Joyful Contentment in the Face of Lack and Longing. There you go. Well, let's look at contentment, first of all, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because I just say in our little preamble before coming on air, and also on air, what am I talking about? <laughs> I should go back to my old radio <laughs> days, but you know what I mean. But also, uh, I do say that these podcasts are for those that are disillusioned, and I'm pretty sure that contentment can equate mm-hmm. to being disillusioned as well. Yeah, very so, much so. What do you think? Tell me more, please. Yeah, so in the book, I tell my story, but also stories of, of several other people in different life circumstances that have wrestled with contentment and finally found it. People who are childless or children with ongoing special needs, all sorts of different things. And yeah, there, I think there comes a point for all of us where we have to, wrestle particularly with the question is god really good because that i think is what it comes down to at the heart that 
if he says he's a good father and I'm asking him for these good things, for healing, for children, for family, for husband, and he's not giving me it, mm. there's something wrong somewhere in that equation. And it's easy to go, well, it's, he can't possibly be a good father then. If he says he gives his children good gifts, I'm asking for a good gift. He's not giving it. Let's go back to the first principle. No, he can't be a good father. He can't be good. And that, I think, is where people just get disillusioned. One girl uh, I talk about in the book, I remember talking to, and she just said, I've done everything right. She tried to follow God all her life. She'd been a missionary as well. She'd moved country. You know, I've, I've followed everything that I thought he was calling me to and he still hasn't given me this one simple little thing that I'm asking for and I think that's where that disillusionment comes that God I've tried I've done everything right why why are you not coming through for me now what was this lady's disillusion Uh, she as well was looking for a husband yeah I think we're sold this it is a sort of variant of the, the prosperity gospel that you know if you you live your life for Jesus and do all the things he calls you to and trust and obey he'll He'll give you, you ask, he'll give, you seek and you'll find. And there is truth in that, but it's what I learned and what I think most of the other people whose stories I tell in the book learned is that actually what we find is the thing we need the most. So I thought that what I needed for life and flourishment, flourishing and joyful contentment was a husband. Mm. And actually through withholding that, I found actually what I need is Jesus and he's able to to fulfill all those things. He's the one I really need. So I think, yeah, there's, there was a long, as I say, a long wrestling through that, but, but his goodness is sometimes I withhold things in order to give you the better thing. Well, let's unpack that more if that's okay. Mm, and I'll put my cards on the table as well. Mm-hmm. I'm totally honest. So contentment, first of all, let's unpack that word. What does contentment actually mean, do you think? Oh, now you're going back to all my notes that I started writing about. <laughs> I kind of tried, ended up defining it by what it isn't. You know, it isn't just a sort of complacency, a, a kind of, okay, fine, I'll just give up wanting and just sit back and go with the flow. And it's not worth hoping because my hopes are never going to be fulfilled. So fine. I think it's, it is much more just this deep joy and a fulfillment that, I have got everything I need. What, what more could I possibly want? Yeah, a joy in God. I can't think of a word that says it better than contentment, really. Being completely yeah. contented with where he's got me. Okay, so I'll put cards on the table. How come I really struggle with being contented? Mm-hmm. I've been a Christian since <clears throat> 1987, <laughs> when I was obviously just out the womb, obviously. you know. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Although very mature for a little baby, obviously, as well. 1987, became a Christian. And I have said I am a bit like C.S. Lewis, as in the day I finally became a Christian, I sat on the staircase and became the most reluctant Christian of all. Nothing happened. <laughs> I remember phoning up a person's mum and I said, guess what? I finally became a Christian. And she said, oh, that's nice, dear. <laughs> thinking, well, it's your flipping fault in the first place. Well, one of the reasons anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh. And that's been my life ever since. You know, I've mm-hmm. had the privilege hearing God's voice telling me to apply for redundancy. So I did, then ended up in radio, which is what I've always wanted to do ever since I could walk. So I've done all that. And like you, uh, we used to call it sharking in my day. You know, you're trying to find a Christian girl in our case. And I had to to put that fin away. Mm -hmm. Now I'm married, but am I content? I really struggle. So, doctor, what do I do? (laughs) 
what do you mean when you say you struggle to be content? How does that manifest? How do you see it in yourself? I suppose because I get very uptight on so many things and really angry, stroke, annoyed. I know we mm-hmm. get past the age of 50, it's one of man's rights to be annoyed <laughs> and to be very pedantic. And I am superb mm-hmm. at being pedantic. <laughs> you're you're practising to be a grumpy old man, are you? Practising? No. <laughs> I, I achieved that qualification years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of those sorts of things suggest to me uh, that you might want to look at what the source of their anger mm-hmm. is and it's often to do with the trust in God issue that if we're angry, it's, it's because I wanted X to happen and Y happened. And maybe it's if God's in control, he's making a real mess of things or God doesn't seem to be in control or, you know, why why can't I trust him just to have one thing go right in my life or whatever that anger thing is. I, I think we need to look at those questions underneath it that this, that our anger or our disappointment or our, frustration or our whatever it is what are those questions pointing to so in the book i'll just look at three is god good is god enough and is god worth it those are three that that i wrestled with and it seems particularly the first two that i wrestled with and it seemed that people i spoke to had similar ones but i think yeah is god really in control and i really trust him those are all kinds of questions underlying the symptoms i think that we need to to wrestle with and to ask God and, and get to that point of just of being able to kind of surrender and go, okay, I'm going to believe that your will is good enough. <laughs> yeah. You see, I, I like the bit in the Bible where it says you only have to surrender 10%. I like that bit. <laughs> Never mind the surrender. I, I, I think it must have been missing from oh, my Bible. Yeah, oh, did your Bible, one, yeah. oh, you had the misprint where it said, uh, I surrender all. That's Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's no. what I thought it said. <laughs> no, I think you find the all bit was that an add-on. <laughs> but I yes. think that's it. I think that's that's the core, isn't it? Is I want things my way and you've got a different way and it doesn't feel like your way would make me happy. I think my way would make me happy and just having to, to surrender that and say, I'm going to choose to trust you. Yeah, and it, for me, it really does hurt. Looking back on my life to date, have I been willing and obedient? Willing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obedient, yes. I'd like to think I'd be remembered for being obedient, but not so willing. And that's the, mm-hmm. that, to me, is my big issue, I think, Doctor. So what's your prescription then, please, for me, if I'm not so willing? <laughs> if you're not so willing. I am a reluctant, willing person there you go (laughs) reluctantly willing i like that (laughs) i would just want to kind of commend your persistence and perseverance at being obedient in your reluctance that i think god really values that and honors that and sees the struggle and sees the wrestle but sees you know what he does what i ask anyway and i think he loves that and as I was preparing for this interview, the one thing I wanted to get across was I think the biggest difference comes when we realise how much God loves us. Mm. And I think that's been the thing that was the most transformational for my life that, that got me to that point of contentment, just realising how much he loves me and that that's all that really matters. And I think the same for you, just he sees your obedience, he sees your reluctance, but that choice to follow him even when it's hard um even when you don't really want to and just would say well done i love you you're keep going that's it's brilliant 
let me show you more of my love. Okay, thank you. Let's pursue on this, if that's okay then. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about myself anymore. I'm going to talk about a friend. Okay, yes. <laughs> As they do so often on these chat rooms and chats. A friend of mine. Yeah. In oh, this friend, yeah. yes. <laughs> you. What about yourself then, turning the tables around? Mm-hmm. Where did you or how did you come to that conclusion yourself then? What did you go through? Most of it was really honest conversations with God. Again, like I said, just you've given me these desires, why would you do that and then not give me a husband to fulfil them? What's your plan here? Why would you do this? And being really frustrated because most of the time his answer was, I love you, and just would say, I love you, I love you, keep going, you're doing the right things, keep following me, I love you, and just, it was so frustrating because I was asking the why questions and I was not getting a why answer and all sorts of different other things coming in, uh, reading lots of Christian biographies. I love Christian biographies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing God's faithfulness to people in those, recognising his faithfulness in my life. So part of the, as I got older, the anxiety around not being married was, well, I've been a missionary for, was a missionary for 10 years altogether. I've worked for charities. I haven't got much of a pension pot. If I end up alone, how are you going to, provide for me I surely I need to find somebody with a nice pension pot that I can marry and you know I need that security and with a summer house in Yorker sort of exactly yeah (laughs) and God just had to remind me I've been faithful up till now why do you think that would suddenly stop when you turned 65 or 70 or whatever I've always provided for you you can trust me will you trust me and yeah just having to kind of work through those sorts of things. Can I really trust him? Why would I think it would stop now? I can't see what the way through would be. I can't see what the answer might be, but I think I'm going to have to choose to believe all the stories in the Bible, all the stories in these Christian biographies, everything he's done in my life up till now. I'm going to have to go on faith and lots of evidence of that and choose to trust him. You sure not we're related because that sounds remarkably what my sorry my friend went through <laughs> that, that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, to quote a Morrissey song heaven knows I'm miserable now you know even though <laughs> I've made you know so my friend has made that journey but then it's all the other things that come onto it surely and this is why I think people get so disillusioned mm-hmm. why does it happen to us why do any of the good things happen to us why <laughs> part of that is a don't I deserve something better than this? Well, yeah. do you? What did you do to deserve anything? Everything we have from God is a gift, and it's his goodness. He's, he's bought our salvation at such a high price. If that was all he'd ever done for us, that would be enough. But he keeps giving us these good gifts. He provided a home for me. He provided so many things. And when I stopped looking at myself and my lack, and started looking out towards other people and being willing to care about them and meet their needs. Then he fulfilled a lot of, of what I thought I was looking for. Yeah. So having written this book on contentment then, and you think, right, I've put my sharking fin away. That's fine. Yep. I'm now happy. I'm looking after other people. I'm getting involved in the church. How much have you wanted to say on that what was, was a rainy day in Abbey Wood and to say to your fiancé, no, I'm not going to get married. I'm contented, thank you. By the time we got to that day, not so much. But it was a thing that I did wrestle with early on. 
yeah, um, partly because <laughs> really selfish reasons, I've got quite a nice ministry going on with speaking on singleness and I'm helping people and God's really using that. He's given me this amazing contentment. There's a, a platform that I might have to surrender to him in order to get this thing that I always wanted. And there are some other, some family circumstances and some some things in the relationship that mean actually it will be quite costly. I have to move away from London, which I adore, love London, never wanted to leave here. There was a, a cost to be counted. It wasn't, oh, great, I can throw off God now and put my eggs in this basket instead. There was still a, I do need to consider, is is this walking away from everything I've learnt? Am I trying to put trust in somebody that isn't God and having to, to decide that and work out now actually there was quite a security in it mm. uh, for both of us that actually if this doesn't work out, we know I'm going to be okay. And hopefully I knew that he would be okay as well, but I've been fine single before I could be again. But yeah, it was a, a thing to consider, but it was very clearly God bringing us together and I fell head over heels in love. So it's a relationship I'm very, very happy to be in. Well, that's really good because I'm sure in past gone by, there are Christians who have wanted to say, I'm really content. And a person's come into their life and they've shunned it. They, mm -hmm. could, they could have got married. And so for you to say what you said is actually, I think, quite liberating, quite encouraging. <laughs> if nothing else, it means uh, a sequel to your book, I would have thought. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. <laughs> Finding contentment when you've got the thing you wanted. <laughs> yeah. But then it's like yeah. contentment plus, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's also the just remembering actually God is the thing, the person that I need the most. Dave is wonderful. I adore him. We have a fantastic relationship, but he's never going to meet all my needs. He can't, and that's far too much pressure to put on yeah. anybody. God's the one that meets my needs and meets his needs and meets our needs as a couple. We need to continue to find our contentment in him, and that will just strengthen and, and help our relationship to flourish. Slightly facetiousness coming through, mm -hmm. through here by me but a previous guest a few weeks ago he saw this girl and thought oh she could be the one and he had a question for her okay uh, which he asked and depending how the result would go would be whether you know he could take a bit further so what questions if anything did you have to make sure that your fiance was in fact going to be your fiance oh that's a good question there was nothing that i asked him but our backstory is we met 30 years ago when we were at university. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is a um, long spoiler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he married one of my friends. She very sadly died just over a year ago. And so I went to the funeral and saw him again then. So we'd been family friends throughout that time, yeah. but not, not seen each other for years. And so there was a groundwork in which I knew him fairly well already. And from his wife, Nicola's funeral, really saw the depth of her faith, but also his faith as well, alongside that, seeing how he dealt with her illness, her funeral, seeing his faith in the Lord and how that had sustained him. I think that was a really important thing that even made me continue chatting to him you know we sent each other photos backwards and forwards from our uni days of 
me and Nicola, you know, stuff that he could use in the funeral and then kept chatting and I would have been far more reluctant had I not seen the, the depth of his faith there. He's a real worshipper, so he brings that to the relationship. I'm better at the Bible study side and, and he's better at going, yes, but now let's turn that to praising and worshipping God. And on our first actual date, which we had a couple of times we hung out before, mm-hmm. uh, we decided, yeah, this is a relationship we want to pursue. We were sitting by a lake and chatting and he just spontaneously started praying. And that was, yeah, I knew then this is going to be a good thing. Someone that will lead me in prayer and will just have God as such a natural part of our relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Well, going back to this friend of mine and his mm-hmm. sharking days. What was his? Yeah. 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 Apparently, we used to go mm-hmm. to see a, a mentor friend of his within the same industry that he was in. And uh, he would explain the difference between men and women. And my friend was told that uh, men uh, are like gas cookers or gas hobs, uh, mm-hmm. whereas uh, women are like electric hobs uh, because <laughs> with, a, with a man, we like very quickly. And mm-hmm. then when we're frustrated or whatever, our emotions, we then switch them off and the gas goes out. And like a minute later, two minutes later, you could touch a hole and you'll be fine. Whereas a lady, <laughs> it takes a lot of time to cool down. Mm-hmm. Uh, or as uh, my friend would allude, his wife would be more like an arga cooker. But he's <laughs> <laughs> not saying this, all joking aside, is that something that worries you? The fact he's already been married before? Or is he like a typical bloke where he, in fact he is a gas cooker? Guess Hop, he's been able to get rid of all his emotions and he can start again. No, he it certainly hasn't got rid of all the emotions and all the memories. I mean, it's still so very soon. It's, it's only been a year. I think it's helpful. It doesn't worry me at all. No, I think it's helpful that I knew Nicola as well, that she was my friend as well. Yeah. So she's not this sort of mythical, wonderful other woman that I can never live up to. She, she was a real person. I know who she was and... And because I knew her, we both have memories of her and also there's not that groundwork of she used to really like this and she would do this. And, you know, just we can immediately just know who we're talking about when, when he wants to talk about memories. So, yeah, it's not a thing I worry about, particularly we, we know there will come times when there'll be the comparisons. Oh, she did that so much better. And so we're already kind of he's guarding against that. I'm working out how to handle that when it happens and. We've got people we talk to can mentor us and help us. Now, thank you for answering, answering that because, you know, there, there might be some people saying, oh, how dare you ask that, Martin, whether you <laughs> we were asking you on behalf of your friends or not. It's, so it's really nice to hear that you've obviously been talking that through because I'm, I'm pretty sure that would be a stumbling block to many people anyway. I can't marry, can't remarry because what would they do? So, you know, what would you say to people who, you know, uh, who got through bereavement or going through bereavement mm-hmm. and thinking, oh, I'll never be able to be able to remarry again? What, what would you say? I think everybody's different. Everybody's grief process is different. I know of several men who have, maybe it is the speed thing, that have married, remarried quite quickly after their first wife has died, whereas women seem to have a much, much longer space of time before they remarry, if they ever do. Yeah, it is a thing that can happen. And you just need to be honest and talk to each other about the feelings and the emotions and mind Dave's friendship kind of restarted as me just being a friend that knew Nicola and was willing to just let him talk about her and meet up and just have someone that he could talk to that wasn't immediately there, wasn't going through grief in the same way that he and the family were. And so that's kind of 
people say that's my first job. That's a thing that I, I signed up for as part of the deal, really, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think also, to, to finish this, this subject here, it basically comes into the uh, I surrender all box, doesn't it? Mm, explain what you mean by that. Oh, well, if we have to surrender all, mm-hmm. instead of surrendering 10% of our lives to Christ, if we surrender all our lives to Christ, then if you surrender all your feelings and emotions from the past relationship, mm-hmm. then you're surrendering all, so you can start again. Yeah. That's very true. And uh, we went to a friend's wedding a few months ago and Dave was kind of listening through all the bows and, yep, did that, did that, did that, check. Yeah, actually, that is complete. We got to till death us do part and we've now, the, the covenant is completed and so we can, yeah, surrender that back to God, give Nicola up freely to him and there is space for somebody else. And then for me as well, surrendering the, the desire to be his first love and the one and only and, you know, all these sort of romantic things and to have somebody unencumbered by emotions, you know, yeah. actually that's just not realistic. I can surrender this. Any jealousy that does come up, any fears that, that arise, just actually, God, you've got this. You've brought this very relationship about, yeah, I surrender to you and let's do this. Brilliant. Well, what about a part two then, a sequel to your book about contentment? <laughs> It could happen, yeah. Obviously, lots of people have said, oh, you'll have to write a sequel now. One of the things I've been thinking of is maybe doing one called What If? Because even once you've reached that point of contentment, there are the still still the what ifs, or if you were yeah. already contented in the first place, you know, what if I send my children to school and they get bullied? Or what if, for me, what if I get sick and Dave has to go through nursing a sick wife again? What if you get sick and I have to nurse him? What if... There's all these things, lower and higher level worries that mm. we need to find out how to walk through with the Lord as well. So that might well be the next one. Excellent. But uh, yeah, possibly that also that contentment within when you've got everything you wanted, remembering to be content and to centre that contentment on, on Jesus. That, that might also be an option. To encourage you, I mean, it might sound stupid, but the way my brain works, um, because of what's going on in my life behind the scenes as well, I have never been content really. And uh, my wife, Alison, has been saying, look, just go out and relax. Because of our situation, my wife being seriously ill and registered blind and everything else like that, my respite is to go and play golf. Mm-hmm. And often I go and play golf, and I'm worse coming back than when I went. <laughs> so last week I thought, right, I'll be talking to you next week. I'm going to talk about contentment. I am going to go out and just be content. And mm-hmm. if I lose X number of golf balls, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah. Excellent. Well, <laughs> and you're going to ask, I bet it improved your game, didn't it? <laughs> no, but I... <laughs> but it improved your mood when you got back. <laughs> well, it's improved something. Yeah, it did. I'm, this is going to be a, a change for me. I think that I do need to now tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, my friend needs to tackle the contentment. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing, you know. And it's all very well saying, joking aside, about surrendering all, right? I always remember Tony Campolo saying that he was going to change the song to I Surrender 10%. That's where I got that from. So I <laughs> off my cap to Mr. Campolo. But that's the thing, isn't it? Maybe that is the reason why we are so disillusioned at times. Because despite everything, how if we look back at our life and realise what he has brought us through, mm-hmm. should we just be disillusioned? But, you know, as I say, you know, I'm reluctant on everything. I am re- that reluctant, willing person. Yeah. Stroke obedient. Yeah. So last words from you, and then we'll get to our last question, please. To sum it all up, what would you like to say? What I would love to say is God loves you, and that's the thing that matters. Pursue that, work out how to 
to discover that for yourself. Obviously, there are some tips in my book, um, but that's the thing that will most transform anxiety, people-pleasing, contentment, all kinds of different things. Just I've seen the love of God just change people's hearts and lives for the better. Good. Yeah, find Good. that. You've found everything. And you've got a website. Yeah, jennypollock.com, Jenny with an I-E. Uh, you'll see it in the show notes, I'm sure. I talk about book, obviously, and just all sorts of different life issues. You see yeah. sorts of the things we've talked about. Yeah. In the next few weeks, we'll be doing a, a special podcast on faith and mental health. And can you be Great. a Christian? I've been given a question and mm-hmm. I think I'm going to just tweak it a bit by saying, yeah, but I'm a Christian. I can't have mental health issues because I'm a Christian. So, yeah, we're going to look at that. That should be interesting. Yeah. Jenny, listen, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time today and for being honest mm-hmm. as well, and for being put on the spot. And uh, do apologise if you were offended in any way, shape or form by Not one of those questions. No, very happy to talk. Thank you. Whatever's helpful. Thank you. Well, in that case, then let's move in to the very last question. Mm-hmm. Jenny Pollock, courtesy of London, moving shortly to Northampton, getting married so she can put her sharking fins away completely. <laughs> Not that she would ever have done that in the first place. That was, that was my friend's. My friend's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is your Christian hero, please? I would have to say Corrie Ten Boom, oh. author of The Hiding Place. I'm sure 90% of your interviewees would say the same. No. Just an amazing example of faith in God through just the most challenging circumstances. But for people that don't know her story, she and her family were living in Holland when World War II broke out and were Christians and hid lots of Jews and Jewish families when the Nazis were coming in to take them away. And uh, she and her family were taken away to concentration camps. She was, I believe, the only one that survived. Had to, to watch her father and her sister die in those camps. But just seeing how God moved in them, how he was preparing them in the decades ahead and their faithfulness and their generosity to be people who would be in the right place at the right time to serve him in that way. And then his faithfulness in the camps and just the miracles they saw and mm. and the way God enabled her afterwards to forgive a Nazi guard that she she met just gave her his miraculous forgiveness. Yeah, incredible, incredible story. So read The Hiding Place. Yes. Top tip. yes. <laughs> I think uh, what comes to mind for me, having read that book decades ago, and not many people have actually shared uh, Corrie Den Boom as their Christian hero. Mm. But it's no disrespect to, to Corrie on that mm. one at all. But I do remember the yeah, little yeah. bit whereby she had a little vitamin box. Yeah. Now, the way I tell it, and the it way you, a, probably, you tell it, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was a little vitamin bottle, and she would sort of eke out drops to the women in the camp, and it just kept going and going and going. But she was always writing home to friends, you know, pleading with them to send more. And but this bottle kept going a little drop for everybody until the day that a new bottle arrived and no more drops ever came out of the old one and the new one replaced it they're just yeah God's provision in that it lasted beyond its capacity way beyond until there was no more need yeah incredible going back to what we'll be sharing throughout this podcast as well really is Mm -hmm. look back at your past life and see where God has been in that and if you you had a little medical bottle that's always self-filling yeah it's a bit difficult isn't it not to be content afterwards Mm mm-hmm yeah but also so easy to, to get distracted by the cares of the world. It's so easy to forget. You read the Bible and you see how quickly Israel forgot. We're no different. It's, yeah, yes, a constant, 
constant battle to stay faithful yeah thank you and you mentioned the bible i thank you for the bible notes that you write occasionally for uh, daily bread that i i read so they've been uh, fantastic thank you very much thank you very much thanks Jenny Pollock, thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to part two of your book and of course the marriage that's going to take place soon as well which should be fantastic thank you very much thank you